Chapter Five of Mosby's Memoirs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Mosby's Memoirs by Colonel John Singleton Mosby. Chapter Five: Recollections of the Battle of Manassas. Footnote. This, the first battle of the war, was known in the north as the Battle of Bull Run, and in the south as the Battle of Manassas. End of footnote. The first Virginia cavalry remained in the Shenandoah Valley until the 18th of July, when, by forced marches, it was sent to join the army and take its part in the Battle of Manassas. When we left the valley, Stuart sent Captain Patrick's company to watch Patterson, whose army was in camp at Charlestown and to screen the transfer of the army to the east of the Blue Ridge. It was well known that in a few days the most of Patterson's regiments would be mustered out of service and would go home. It was evident that his prime object had been not to divert Johnston's army, but to avoid a collision. Patterson no doubt thought that he had effected his purpose, and was content to rest where he was. Stuart's regiment arrived at the scene of the approaching battle on the evening of July 20 and went into bivouac near Ball's Ford. The armies were so close together that there was a great deal of picket-firing, and I remember very well the foreboding I felt when I lay down under a pine-tree to rest beside Fount Beatty. When the bugle sounded on the morning of the 21st, in counting off, I was number one in the first set of fours, and rode at the head of the squadron that day. Nothing afterwards occurred in my military career that gives me more satisfaction to remember. A few days before, six Colt pistols had been sent to our company, and Captain Jones had selected the men who were to have them. I was one of the six. I don't know why. But to reconcile those who got no pistols, Jones told them that the six should be selected for the most dangerous work. Shortly after breakfast on the morning of the battle, Stuart sent Jones to make a reconnaissance over Bull Run. When we reached the woods where he thought the enemy might be, Jones called for the six men. We all responded, and rode off into the woods to reconnoitre, but we didn't find an enemy. So the company recrossed the run. Our regiment was divided during the battle, and the squadron to which I belonged was placed under a Major Swan, a Marylander. Late in the day when the enemy was in retreat, Swan halted us in a field within fifty yards of Kemper's guns, which were firing on the retreating troops. That was the very time for us to have been on the enemy's flank. I was near Captain Jones. He rose in his stirrups and said indignantly, "'Major Swan, you can't be too bold in pursuing a flying enemy.' But he made no impression on Swan. After dark, Swan marched us back over Bull Run, and I slept in a drenching rain in a fence-corner. Swan did not get a man or a horse scratched. He did a life-insurance business that day. Instead of Swan supporting the battery, the battery supported Swan. Afterwards my last official act as adjutant of the company was to carry an order from Jones, who had become colonel, for Swan's arrest. We lay all the next day near the battlefield, and I rode over it, carrying a dispatch to Stuart at Sudley. But the first thing I did in the morning was to make a temporary shelter from the rain in a fence-corner, and write a letter to my wife. Monday. July twenty second, Battlefield of Manassas. My dearest Pauline, 
There was a great battle yesterday. The Yankees are overwhelmingly routed. Thousands of them killed. I was in the fight. We at one time stood for two hours under a perfect storm of shot and shell. It was a miracle that none of our company was killed. We took all their cannon from them. Among the batteries captured was Sherman's. Battle lasted about seven hours. About ninety thousand Yankees, forty-five thousand of our men. The cavalry pursued them till dark, followed six or seven miles. General Scott commanded them. I just snatched this moment to write, am outdoors in a rain, and will write you all particulars when I get a chance. We start just as soon as we can get our breakfast, to follow them to Alexandria. We made a forced march to get here to the battle, travelled about sixty-five miles without stopping. My love to all of you, in haste, yours devotedly. Early on Tuesday morning, July 23rd, Stuart's regiment and Ely's brigade moved to Fairfax Courthouse, and camped near there on opposite sides of the Alexandria Pike. Stuart's dispatch to General Johnston, who was still at Manassas, says we got there at 9.30 a.m. The country looked very much like Egypt after a flood of the Nile. It was strewn with the debris of McDowell's army. I again wrote to my wife and used paper and an envelope which the Zouaves had left behind. On it was a picture of a Zouave charging with a fixed bayonet and an inscription, Up guards and at them, which is said to have been Wellington's order at Waterloo. The Zouaves were then charging on New York. Fairfax Courthouse, July twenty-fourth, 1861 my dearest Pauline. I telegraphed and wrote you from Manassas early the next morning after the battle. We made a forced march from Winchester to get to Manassas in time for the fight, travelled two whole days and one night without stopping, in the rain, and getting only one meal. We arrived the morning before the fight. It lasted about ten hours and was terrific. When we were first brought upon the field we were posted as a reserve just in rear of our artillery, and directly within range of the hottest fire of the enemy. For two hours we sat there on our horses, exposed to a perfect storm of grape-shot, balls, bombs, etc. They burst over our heads, passed under our horses, yet nobody was hurt. I rode my horse nearly to death on the battlefield, going backward and forward, watching the enemy's movements to prevent their flanking our command. When I first got on the ground my heart sickened. We met Hampton's South Carolina Legion retreating. I thought the day was lost, and with it the Southern cause. We begged them, for the honor of their state, to return. But just then a shout goes up along our lines. Beauregard arrives, and assures us that a day will be ours. This reanimated the troops to redouble their efforts. Our regiment had been divided in the morning. Half was taken to charge the enemy early in the action, and the remaining part, ours and Amelia Company, were held as a reserve to cover the retreat of our forces, if unsuccessful, and to take advantage of any favorable moment. When, late in the evening, the Yankees gave way, they seemed overwhelmed with confusion and despair. They abandoned everything—arms, wagons, horses, ammunition, clothing, all sorts of munitions of war. They fled like a flock of panic-stricken sheep. We took enough arms, accoutrements, etc., to equip the whole army. They were splendidly equipped, 
had every imaginable comfort and convenience which Yankee ingenuity could devise. The fight would not have been half so long had it been an open field one, but the Yankees were protected by a thick pine woods, so that it was almost impossible to get at them with the cavalry. They never once stood to a clash of the bayonet, always broke and ran. In the evening, when they gave way, the order was given to charge them. We were then in the distant part of the field. In a moment we were in full pursuit, and as we swept on by the lines of our infantry, at full speed, the shouts of our victorious soldiers rent the air. We pursued them for six or eight miles, until darkness covered their retreat. The whole road was blocked up with what they abandoned in their flight. All our regiment, in fact nearly all the soldiers, now have splendid military overcoats which they took. I have provided myself very well. We took every piece of their artillery from them. Sixty-two pieces, among them one of the finest batteries in the world. Their total loss cannot be less than five thousand. Our company is now equipped with Yankee tents. I am riding under one. We are also eating Yankee provisions, as they left enough to feed the army a long time. All of the Northern Congress came out as spectators of the fight. A senator was killed by a cannonball, Foster. All of our troops fought well, but the Virginia troops bore the brunt of the battle, especially Jackson's brigade. A Washington paper says they were scarce of ammunition. A lie, for we took enough from them to whip them over again. Our captain, who you know is an old army officer, complimented our company very much for their coolness and bravery in standing fire, said that we stood like old veterans. We were placed in the most trying position in which troops can be placed, to be exposed to a fire which you cannot return. There was scarcely a minute during the battle that I did not think of you and my sweet babes. I had a picture of May, his daughter, which I took out once and looked at. For a moment the remembrance of her prattling innocence almost unfitted me for the stern duties of a soldier. But a truce to such thoughts. We are now marching on to bombard Washington City. Fairfax Courthouse, July 27, 1861 Dearest Pauline, We are here awaiting for the whole army to come up. Several of our men got scared into fits at the battle. A doctor, blank, put a blister on his heart as an excuse not to go into battle. One named, blank, was so much frightened when the shells commenced bursting around us that he fell off his horse. Commenced praying. The surgeon ran up, thought he was shot, examined him, told him he was only scared to death. He got up and left the field in double-quick time. I could tell you of a good many such ludicrous incidents. End of chapter.